trust in money remains the bedrock of stability. The soul of money is trust. I, I think we are not paying sufficient attention to the law of unintended consequences. In the immortal words of the doors, the time to hesitate is through. Peter, how's it going? Really well, and you? Not too bad, thank you, mate. It's uh, another day where I get to have a conversation with a fellow Bitcoiner about them and their journey discovering Bitcoin. So I appreciate you spending your scarce time and finite energy on discovering Bitcoin. It's great to be here. It's an absolute pleasure. How did you discover Bitcoin? Well... I, about uh, 12 years ago now, my brother uh, said to me that it would be a good idea for me to buy this magic internet money that he called Bitcoin uh, when it was $3. And I come from a background in finance, so I instantly dismissed that as a stupid idea <laughs> that would never work <laughs> and uh, have lived to regret that uh, decision. So that's interesting because we had Joe Burnett um, on the pod uh, a little while ago and he comes from a traditional finance background too and he was diving down the sort of crypto rabbit hole and at least he paid a little bit more attention to it by the sounds of it. Like you seem to have just dismissed it out of hand from the get-go. Yeah. Yeah. It was. And I, the reason why I think I dismissed it out of hand was probably hubris in that I was working in finance, still am working in finance, right? So we give advice on finance for a living. And there's been a background in investment management. There's been a background in credit. There's, you know, we literally look after a small number of families now. And coming from a, a finance background, uh, it was very difficult for me to comprehend the fact that something could operate without any authority um ironically mm. it has the ultimate authority in that it you know relies on maths or as our us friends like to say math math and data <laughs> um and and this is what was really quite conceptually very difficult for me to get so like any new concept um i was instantly dismissive of it and it's very like it's such a it well it draws on and requires so much thought around a multitude of different areas that you are required to think about and then synthesize to actually understand that this thing could actually work and this is where particularly in this world that we live in today where our attention spans have shortened dramatically since 12 years ago if we can't understand it in a 30 second tiktok video then it's probably not worth understanding or a scam and sadly, that um, couldn't be further from the truth. So it just requires a lot of time and energy to get your head around what this thing is and what the potential for it is. And sadly, in 2011, for me, there wasn't, well, there weren't a lot of great resources to basically look up or, or pursue. So, Yeah, and I guess that's the advantage that we have now in 2023 is there is an like a wall, a wave of, of, of Bitcoin-related education and content to, to uh, help you digest the importance of this, of this um, asset, this protocol, this network, whatever you want to call it. So theoretically, there's actually no excuse, whereas in 2011, you had the excuse. But I'm glad you said the word hubris there because um, there is a certain level of arrogance needed to dismiss something at face value out of hand and we're all guilty of it like i'm yeah. sure everyone has done it at some point in the or another 
with whatever subject, but Bitcoin's very easy to dismiss. I mean, gosh, I'm pretty sure there's no one listening that hasn't heard Bitcoin for the first time um, and dismissed it out of hand. In fact, you know, <laughs> I remember hearing about it. It was either late 2011 or early 2012 from a colleague. Um, and I didn't really, with all due respect, he wasn't a very impressive person. So I was just like, ah, internet money for nerds, forget it. I'm not, uh, I'm not That'll dealing with work. that. <laughs> you know, so mm-hmm. totally. And, 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 and the arrogance and lack of humility to, to pick up on his genuine, um, uh, promotion of this thing uh not promotion but you know he was obviously telling me because he was passionate about it and he wanted other people to learn about it and i just completely missed that you know so well he cared for you presumably and that's why he told you because he wanted you to benefit from it and there's an old saying which i find most amusing but it's only a rort if you're not in on it (laughs) and that's very much how Bitcoin is to the outsiders. They think it's a rort. And then once you spend the time and understand it, it's a complete game changer. But it, it's just requires a lot of work to get that. And it's so humbling. Like everyone has that experience of just being totally humbled by Bitcoin. And every day it humbles me that, you know, the amount of talent, the amount of smart people who are dedicating their lives and energy to this space to, to make a meaningful difference. And I feel like I try and do my bit as best I can, albeit fairly superficially. But I think one of the reasons why we do instantly dismiss Bitcoin is we view it as a get-rich-quick scheme. And, you know, if you put a financial, uh, I guess, filter on what is Bitcoin, typically people say, oh, Bitcoin, you know, by Bitcoin, it's going to the moon. And probably one of the first lessons that our parents taught us as children was if it sounds too good to be true it probably is Mm -hmm. and so when you hear this you know that's an automatic red flag in the brain for you to say approach with caution or you know extreme prejudice to that claim that hey buy this and you can get rich because you know from early age we're fundamentally taught that you know if it's too good to be true it probably is Mm. Absolutely. So that was your first touch point, 2011. Did you have any others that were? Um, did you have any more exposure to to the to the concept, the term Bitcoin? Um, and what were your reactions? Hence, how long did it take you before you sort of started taking this thing a bit seriously and allocated some some of your scarce um, time and energy to it? It took me uh, a long time and. Sadly, you know, I'm extremely sceptical, ultra-conservative, and I have a, I guess I like to have a very good understanding of what things are before putting money to it. I have an extreme aversion to losing money. Mm. And with that aversion to losing money and not really understanding it, it took a long time for me to understand. So it came into my orbit uh, from a family perspective around 2013. The family purchased some and watched that basically purchased fundamentally at the top, like 1100 US type thing, and watched it proceed to crash down. Over the next two years, I think it went down to about 200. So an 80 plus percent drop, 85 percent drop. And, you know, I felt like I was vindicated. I was like, okay, well, maybe my original take on this was correct. It is a scam. It's dead. It's going nowhere. And very fortunately for me at the time, my brother had a business that went through Boost VC, um, the Draper family venture capital firm. They... Um, invested in Michael's business and, you know, Michael, I'm so fortunate that he's, you know, my little brother in quotes um, and he's far further down the rabbit hole than myself and I feel very fortunate that he's encouraged me and been very patient with educating me because it took probably the best part of five years in speaking to him nearly every other day, 
about Bitcoin in some way, shape or form for me to get comfortable with a personal investment. Right. Wow. But that's not, that's not, that's not unique really because particularly if you do have that aversion to losing money and, um, you know, those that are conservative with what they spend their money on. So you obviously realized and were conscious of the value of money, but you mentioned that you didn't necessarily understand what money is. Would that be fair to say? Yes. So that's never a conversation up until Bitcoin that I don't think any family has had. Mm. Unless maybe they're a gold bug family, they'd be having that conversation. But in typical families, definitely not. I know from a personal perspective, my father was uh, a small business owner, uh, an exceptional story. Like, and a, you know, my mother and father are just shining lights as far as good human beings go. Um, I can't tell you how blessed my brother, sister, and I are to be their children. Awesome. Yeah, extremely supportive. Um, wonderful loving parents and what i find you know so fortunate you know dad and i connected at an early age um with his with his business in that we would talk business from literally probably age of seven or eight onwards and you know i'd be able to have discussions with him about you know what's happening in the business what are they doing what's you know some of the developments that's happening what are the concerns how are they solving problems and literally as an eight-year-old having those conversations with my father was just uh, an absolute uh, an absolute gift. So it's like the ultimate beginner's mind. Yes. it. it I, I cannot tell you the, the good fortune bestowed upon me from that because, like, I've been around a lot of very, very clever businessmen, like exceptionally talented, exceptionally wealthy, and to see how his brain works... And, and just to sort of put this in context, I would put him up against any entrepreneur or business owner in Australia. Yeah. And I, I think he would absolutely hold his own, if not come out on top or near the top. Exceptional brain. Yeah. Exceptional brain. Like I've been in presentations with him where, you know, we're going through, we're three slides into a 20-page pitch deck and he's already finished it in his head. It's just like, mm. yeah, yeah, all right. And like, tell me how this cuts. And it's like, Great, rolls it out. It's just phenomenal. And I, I wish I had more brain power to take more in as a kid <laughs> growing up. Um, I've tried to retain as much as I can. Hopefully that's given me, well, that's that alone's given me a huge head start. So exceptionally grateful for that. Absolutely. And, uh, and just being able to absorb all of that from an early age. But uh, as we were saying, the, the, the actual concept of money and what it represents, what it is, eludes, oh gosh, 99% of the people, I would say. I don't know how many people hold Bitcoin around the world. I'm not sure, but, and how many are gold bugs? Let's, let's call it around a, a 98 just for, for funsies. But that, that uh, conservative notion of, uh, and aversion to losing money, yet not understanding or rather misunderstanding what money is, um, and what it represents and what it enables one to do. Um, yeah, that's that's interesting. So you've been able to square that circle though, uh, since discovering Bitcoin? Absolutely. And this is where it feels like a final piece has mm-hmm. fallen into place for me in that we, we haven't had anything like this. And this is where when you opened up on this conversation, you know, this this network, this asset, this money, it's indefinable, really. We can do our best to try and define what this is, but all those things you mentioned, it fundamentally is, and more. It's just that it's in early stage development. You know, this thing's basically a little child, and, you know, the potential for it is, well, we we don't even know, can't even comprehend what, what the future brings with this, but all I do know is that from years of studying businesses, years of studying economics, finance, you know, studying markets, understanding, giving advice on, you know, shares, property, bonds, any asset class out there, that this is totally unique. It's indefinable and it's something really, really special. Other than that, it's very difficult to define. 
and articulate too to, to someone who is new to it or, you know, g- given your um, given your work and what you do on a day-to-day basis, you know, dealing with uh, high net worth individuals and discussing allocations of their capital into certain uh, asset classes and stuff, you know, trying to articulate this concept of Bitcoin. Most people, uh, and I've had experience with this, you, you uh, open with the word Bitcoin and people just... The social attack starts immediately and people just run to cryptos and FTX, you know, blow ups and all of the other scams that um, circle in and around this space. And then you have to wade through all of that before you even get to your opening gambit, which was the the unique uh, opportunity uh, to be so damn early to this world changing um thing it's mind-blowing isn't it and this is where you know i've spent an enormous amount of time thinking about how to put a valuation metric on this and there are just so many difficult well it's just indefinable from a valuation metric but one thing that i can say and talk to which i've got a very good understanding of is what i think are the key innovations with bitcoin that enable it to separate itself as being totally unique, whether it's an invention or a discovery. I look at the tech innovation that was effectively uncovered with Bitcoin and think, here is something that is totally unique to Bitcoin that no other asset or network on earth has. And I'll just quickly go through those from what I see applying to a a monetary perspective. But the four things are absolute digital scarcity, which we're all familiar with, 21 million. The ability to have censorship resistance money. So no one can stop me accessing the network if I've got an internet connection. That that to me seems really powerful and really valuable. The other thing is, you know, seizure resistant. And, you know, as Russia found out 12 or 14 months ago, the US basically put their thumb on a scale and said, you're 500 million of foreign reserves sitting on this SWIFT system are no longer yours. Well, they never said it was no longer yours. They just said, you no longer have control of this. And, you know, by implication, they've basically said, this is no longer yours because you have no control over this. So I look at that and I think, well, seizure resistant is a huge, huge innovation, like a step function change that we've never seen before. Because when you combine this with everything else that's there, this is the first time in history that you can effectively avoid well, it's it's the first time in history that you can actually go to your grave with an asset. Yeah. The 12 words in your head you can basically pass away with. And yeah. one thing I find sort of really amusing to think about is all of these, you know, the Egyptian pharaohs built these huge pyramids in honour of their death, effectively a huge tomb to protect their wealth into the afterlife. And, you know, I'm eternally grateful that, you know, 5,000 years ago or however long ago it was that, you know, these things were built to basically be huge safes for their, you know, treasure that was stored in there and taken with them. And, you know, it's amusing to me thinking that what would have happened if Bitcoin was around then? You know, they'd just tell Tutankhamun, here's 12 words, make sure you don't forget them or the afterlife's going to be pretty fucked for you. <laughs> um, and they'd just go and chuck him in the desert. He'd be a bag of bones. We'd never have known. So... The, the final thing on those tech innovations, though, is probably more serious. And it's I, I get a lot of the juice out of the fun part and where I think the implications for the future come in, the immutable ledger supply and issuance. That's a one-time invention that's never been done before. And I look at this and think that is enormously powerful. And having an accounting degree and a background in accounting and finance, This is something that usually when you talk about accounting, literally most people's eyes glaze over. It's probably like us talking to normies about Bitcoin. And when I talk to Bitcoiners about accounting, it's like, eh, just glazes over. But this is where it's a really, really powerful thing. And I think from a historical context, excuse me, what we're living through right now is the birth of an effective record-keeping device that is going to totally displace that notion of the winner rewrites or writes history. Because with a blockchain that cannot be manipulated or altered, you have a definitive set of records that will never be changed. 
And typically what happened up until this point in time is that, you know, if you're in a war and, you know, you lost, basically you were the bad guy and all the bad things were attributed to you. However, if you won the war, maybe all of the questionable things that you did to win that are basically whitewashed and effectively put on the loser. So with this immutable ledger, that basically is a perfect record-keeping device in perpetuity, all of a sudden the ability to do that is no longer. So all of a sudden we have, I think, what, what that's going to help bring to society is a higher level of consciousness consciousness to the decisions we're making. <laughs> yeah, wow. Um, I'm, yeah, far out. Because just, I mean, we talk about time preference a lot in Bitcoin. Mm. It's like a forcing function for a low time preference such that you yeah. are always mindful provided that you're aware of this immutable ledger, that you're always mindful of your actions in the world and to ensure that they are ethical, just, fair, and so on. And if they're not, it will be recorded in the time chain and there for all to see. Uh, maybe that's being Whatever. hyperbolic. but No, not really. Yeah. You'll be you'll be able to see that in history. Your descendants will now have effectively ancestry.com on every transaction that you did on the blockchain. And they'll be able to determine, you know, were you sending Bitcoin to a shitcoin casino to trade Bitcoin and then come back into Bitcoin with more or less Bitcoin? And the story for 99% of people who dabble with that type of investment strategy end up losing Bitcoin. So your future generations are going to look at how you've conducted your wallet and think, was he a good custodian of Bitcoin and how did they conduct themselves? Were they an erratic gambler who just traded in and out of their wallets and, you know, was frenetic with trying to achieve something, but clearly the purpose with, you know, chaotic transactions? Or was it understood very early with a very stable wallet that went through in, well, stable perpetuity with no major transactions in there because they fundamentally understood what this thing was and the impact that it could have on society. Yeah. I mean, to say nothing of coin joins and collaborative spends and um, and all of that sort of stuff, whirlpool mixes, et cetera. But certainly mm. if you have uh, with sort of what you deal with in, in terms of estate planning and long-term holding of these Bitcoins to ultimately be passed down to beneficiaries, etc. more often than not, you're going to have a wallet um, which is going to have very few transactions on it or it may have a lot, but that's the thing. Like as you were saying, if you do pass on this, this wallet that has all these erratic transactions on it, um, that, will be sh that will be shown and demonstrated and um, the next generation might replicate that behavior or learn from it and um, dial down their time preference a little bit and uh, and be a little bit more conscious or cognizant of the ultimate scarcity and, and uh, <laughs> without putting any religious kind of um, notion on it, but sort of the, the sacredness of this 21 million. Yeah, yeah. and it's something that we, we try and understand, but to that point, we, we don't have any real comprehension of it because maybe less than 1% of the world is using this thing now. But what happens when 8 billion people are competing for this one asset, this one network? This is where it gets very real very quickly from a, I think, from a valuation perspective. You know, I go to bed some nights thinking, and this is, you know, this is the base layer of understanding of Bitcoin. And this is sadly where I spend a lot of my time because it's the most low functioning of our, you know, cerebral cortex. And it appeals to basically our two primary drivers, greed and fear. Um, once you get past that and, you know, talking about Maslow's needs hierarchy, you can get passed into better things that I think Bitcoin is the best 
best possible driver of helping us move up that Maslow's needs hierarchy as quickly as possible to ultimately self-actualizing where we can contribute with our highest purpose to society. And this is where Bitcoin, I believe, gives everyone on earth the best shot and the fastest shot of doing that. So although I'm interested about the money and talk about that with clients from, you know, a day-to-day perspective and Sadly, I do use that to corral anyone who'll listen, um, you know, basically corral their, whether it's their ego or their driver or their need for not missing out or their, you know, internal greed as a driver to basically buy as much Bitcoin as they're comfortable with uh, or prepared to lose and then drag them into that hole. And then hopefully once they've got something, when it comes to Bitcoin, then they can start that journey of basically moving up that that needs hierarchy as their Bitcoin grows in value. And mm. hopefully they just don't sell it too quickly, thinking that a 10x return is a great return when, you know, you're basically mm. selling yourself short. Totally. I mean, NGU Tech is, I mean, it runs on... The cerebral cortex, right? It it it, it it's why it, you just said, you know, you, fear and greed is the two drivers, and that's that's where NGU Tech initially embeds itself. I think on everybody is is right at the reptilian brainstem, and it's only later on with a little bit more proof of work that you get to the yeah. frontal co- prefrontal cortex, and you can start going down rabbit holes like Breedlove and Vallis and um, GG and all of those guys. So um, it's, 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 yeah. I mean, that's, you got to have a hook, right? And that's, that's that big, that's Bitcoin's hook. It's just to get you started. That's just <laughs> to come, you know, you got to give them something. And hopefully it's at the right time, you know. And, and sadly, this is where personally, I believe any time's the right time. You know, even when it's gone parabolic, I think, hey, now is a great time to buy. And I'm not sure when this is going to happen, but I fully expect that I go to bed one night and I wake up and the price has gone 10x. And we've effectively got a step change in the price because whether it's a sovereign or a bond fund or, you know, a big multinational has effectively just set the new price at, you know, 10 or 20x what the current price is. Mm. Yeah. And so... It's just bye, 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 because once the rest of the world figures this out, then basically it's going to be up a lot. And, you know, from my experience meeting Bitcoiners, I've got to say, I was recently away at um, um, the Bush Bash um, in country Victoria, and I've got to say there is so, so many, such a, a wide array of different personalities and people there who are, all really smart, really well connected, and you know, just here for you know the the broader mission. I I feel like, and yeah. without sort of getting religious on it, because I've got to talk about this from a day to day perspective, from an investment perspective. But in light of all that's going on in the world today, I, I really think that Bitcoin is one of the very few um, opportunities or rays of sunshine that we have to to help build out a better society moving forward. So. As fun as it is talking about the numbers go up, the real juice for me is thinking about what the possibilities hold for the improvement of our society and ourselves moving forward. 100%. Yeah, it's an anchor. It's a North Star. and uh, You meet Bitcoiners and they're by and large optimistic rather than nihilistic about what is currently going on, what the future holds, and um, that is infectious. I mean, enthusiasm is the greatest fertilizer. And Bitcoin enthuses you, uh, well, it does me anyway. So we've only got to uh, one question and uh, and we're 28 <laughs> half an hour in. I love this. This is fantastic. How many have we got? <laughs> well, we could maybe skip over a couple. Um, I think, I think I'm, I'm good. they're all pretty important. But um, and we may have touched on this uh, a, a little bit earlier, but once you came around to comprehending Bitcoin and appreciating it for what it is, or at least beginning to, why do you think that you are able uh, and and open to that discovery of Bitcoin? I 
would put that down to probably predominantly talking to my brother. Mm-hmm. And and that is, you know, being able to talk to him, whether it's, you know, it, it felt like there was a period of time for five years where he set up effectively a Bitcoin business that um, was originally called Snapcard. I'd hear about his business the day to day and ask, you know, sort of side questions on how does this work? How does that work? Finally getting comfortable with all the questions and ruling out all of the problems that I had imagined in my head about this, that gave me confidence to then move forward and effectively uh, make what someone would would say is an outsized investment in in this asset class. Mm-hmm. And that was you know, five years after I first heard about it. But once the penny dropped and I'd ran out of reasons as to why it wouldn't work or all the things that I thought would go wrong with it didn't. And I'd seen five years worth of experience. Mm. I was like, all right, okay, well, may as well get on board with this and 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 do it. Yeah. I mean, the, the, once you comprehend the asymmetric upside at, at a very least with the NGU tech, as we were mentioning before, you can allocate a little bit and just see what happens. So that's interesting. So, so your brother Michael had had a had a. Uh, we, we had Michael on episode three, I believe, of discovering Bitcoin. So, if you're interested in checking that out, go go back through the archives. Thank you for telling me about that. I will definitely go and watch that because he is. <laughs> even though I speak to him so often, I find him fascinating. So, I will absolutely listen to that. And if anyone's listened to this and hasn't listened to that. <laughs> <laughs> that's the real deal. That's that's the prize. <laughs> no, I, look, you, you're both because uh, I, I think uh, I watched your talk at the the beach, not uh, the, the bush bash, and um, I saw you two just interacting pretty much all weekend, and and there was a lot of brotherly love, and um, I just I sort of felt that, and and having discussed this similar um, line of questioning with with Michael. On an earlier episode, um, yeah, he's he's got some pretty wild and, and amazing thoughts with respect to the possibilities of Bitcoin and experimenting with it and um, sending into the future and time locks and all that sort of stuff. It's pretty pretty spectacular. Yeah, agreed. How has discovering Bitcoin changed you? It's a very deep question that requires a lot of thought. Uh, it sort of going down this Bitcoin rabbit hole, I will start with by saying it gives you a great bullshit detector because you realise the amount of lies and bullshit that you've been given in every facet of your life from the most basic, which is, hey, here's our currency, come and use it. It's trusted by the full faith of the government. Like, give me a break. And then it gives you, I think... I think what happens with this is that as you go down this rabbit hole, fundamentally it is a proof of work. So this is why the conversations and connections we have, like today, for me it feels like I'm talking to an old friend who's just asking me some questions. And it feels like an instant connection, a rapport, a meeting of the minds, because we're probably meeting each other with values which are fairly similarly aligned because we've had a shared experience of basically falling down this rabbit hole and bashing our head on every little, you know, detail around Bitcoin and we've fundamentally come to a similar conclusion um, that enables us to meet as, as peers who have gone through a certain experience in our lives that gives us an understanding of one another that we might not agree on everything, but for the core fundamentals of, you know, what we believe in or our values, mm. I dare say that the majority of our values would be highly aligned, mm. which makes everything else a whole lot easier. And this is where it gets somewhat to a much deeper conversation and where once you get past the dollar of Bitcoin, this is where going down that Bitcoin rabbit hole, I think, allows you, once you do the proof of work, to come out the well, no one comes out the other side of the rabbit hole. I'll just say that. No one's finished Bitcoin. But, you know, when you're in this, it feels like the deeper you go, the more in sync you become with everyone else who's down that rabbit hole. 
And for whatever reason, it is the greatest tool I've ever seen for aligning incentives, not just from a monetary perspective, but aligning incentives from a cultural and social perspective. Right. And this is where this is the first device or network or asset or whatever you want to call this thing. This is the first time in human history that has the ability or the potential to align the entirety of humanity's interests and incentives. And when you think about that, <laughs> like that is a, you know, that that's where the real juice comes from this, because what happens when all of our incentives are aligned, all of our focus gets harnessed into effectively the betterment of our society and everyone gets to function back to Maslow's hierarchy of needs gets the focus at that pointy end of the pyramid where they're self-actualizing and benefiting for society. This is something that, you know, this is, this is what gets me really excited about thinking the future is this is our shot at that. Mm -hmm. Nothing on earth comes close to giving us that, you know, you know, countries have basically aligned, call it one and a half billion people with, you know, interests. They've aligned incentives somewhat. There's still dissent dissent among voices, not everyone's the one and a half billion people in China or India, you know, are all thinking the same. Mm. Um, religion. Religion has done a pretty good job of that, aligning maybe two billion people with, you know, Catholicism, I think, is the largest religion on earth, give or take, Christianity, but it hasn't aligned eight billion people. So, you know, this is literally a, a network that has the potential to align eight billion souls. That I find really interesting. What happens when 8 billion people are effectively, you know, all pushing rather than push, pull, push, pull? Yeah, opting in voluntarily rather mm -hmm. than um, coercively. That, that's the spectrum. Um, so I guess it's, it's almost like, maybe I'm speaking for myself here, but uh, you were mentioning before, we're sort of catching up for the first time but we can speak with one another like peers. We can do what Daniel Prince says and completely avoid all the non-versation before we get to, <laughs> you know, the, 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 the crux of the issue. And I mean, in a way, the, the podcast format does facilitate that anyway. We're, 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 you know, having an interview so that calls for a certain level of, of superficiality to be jettisoned. But I would dare say it... Bitcoin in dis changing you has kind of validated and reaffirmed or refined even the values that you had beforehand and maybe brought them into sharper focus. And I dare say a lot of other Bitcoiners, when you meet them, a similar thing has happened where they have this particular way of being or what, or, or believing there should be a way of being perhaps in the world or something. And it's, it's kind of refined that it's, it's validated that. And then when you meet them, you're like, Oh, these are vibing on a similar frequency to me. Yeah. This, this is cool because then you sometimes meet other people and you're just like, I'm never going to be in tune with this person because they're just too bullheaded or egotistical or, um, stupid <laughs> sorry <laughs> but you know what i'm saying like yeah. yeah it's it's and so it it's not so much even changing you but rather refining and iterating on the work that you've done prior to and as you said you you prostate yourself you humble yourself before bitcoin and um that, that that's a huge point because the humble, the humbleness comes from effectively being schooled, and yeah. you know it's the the hubris of thinking that you know it all. You know, for me, it's a very expensive lesson. You know, I could have bought a thousand bucks easily 11, 12, 12 years ago, and you know that would be potentially hundreds of millions of dollars. And it's a very expensive tuition it. cost. That is, and you know in a business where I try and make money for people to miss opportunities like that. Thank goodness it's not fatal. And look, I don't care. Well, 
you know, <laughs> I do care, but I don't care. You know, I'm 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 in this point in life for a reason and really happy with the way life's going. And this is where because Bitcoin humbles you, there is literally so much to learn. Once it gets a hook in you, it's well, it's lights out for just about any other interest that you've got. It becomes an obsession. <laughs> an inordinate obsession, absolutely. It's like, <laughs> yeah, it's to, to the chagrin of like people outside of yourself really that don't fully get what the hell you're going on about. <laughs> you just seem like a crazy person. Um, totally. And it's just like that meme, you know, the crazy person, what we think we look like <laughs> versus the guy with the, you know, the strings and the pins. Yeah, Charlie. <laughs> Charlie from Always Sunny. Um, mm. Charlie Day. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing, right? And it's an it, it becomes an obsession. So I wonder if that is actually a healthy thing or not because, uh, you know, I guess some Bitcoiners have addictive personalities um, or a insatiably curious might be a better way to put it. Um, and because there's so many different things that this thing touches and you can, as you mentioned at the top, your, your mission is to sort of synthesize them on a macro scale within your brain and then start to internalize them in your own interests and synthesize them with your own prior interests. Um, is it, is it ultimately a net net benefit like net net is it positive or is it there's some unhealthy aspects to it I, i'm sure there are but um well i don't think maybe that's the right way of doing it because right. it's all relative or, or to think about it because i think it's all relative and you you know you're not basically living in isolation everything is relative to something else and so i look at the benefits of say bitcoin one of the most topical or the more topical things around Bitcoin at the moment is that it's really bad for the environment. And I find that really amusing that it's really bad for the environment because I look at, I think these people don't understand money who are talking about that. Like the latest with Greenpeace saying that, oh, and the artist who kind of got hoodwinked into creating this, you know, this skull and <laughs> nuclear power reactor and all the Bitcoiners ended up loving it and schooled in that, hey, you've been hoodwinked here. You know, Greenpeace doesn't know what they're talking about. And I think if they actually understood the cost to the environment of the monetary system that we're currently running outside of Bitcoin, it's a no-brainer. Like, basically, if your primary concern is the environment and you want to improve the environment, then the number one thing you can do to stop environmental damage is stop consumption. And so what promotes consumption is a shitty monetary system. And yeah. so what would promote effectively a reduction in spending more than anything else is the ability to save with money that is going to go up in value, the money that goes down in value. And speaking in really rough numbers, what this means is from a, if you look at consumption as the key driver for environmental damage, which is fundamentally what it draws down to, inflation alone on a global scale from a monetary supply accounts for, if you if you assume the, the global inflation rate is 10% per annum, which I think is probably a pretty fair assessment right now, mm. that's going to be a $10 trillion cost per annum that it's costing us in consumption. So if you got rid of inflation, immediately the consumption goes down fundamentally 10% is how I work that in my head. And then when you look at the level of debt that gets created on an annual basis, basically debt is effectively pulling forward future consumption. Mm -hmm. On a Bitcoin system, debt becomes a lot more expensive. So you can't pull forward as much consumption from the future to today. No. So you would fundamentally drive down consumption as well. So if Greenpeace actually understood, you know, if they knew where their ass was on this issue, they'd actually be very pro-Bitcoin. And that's before we even get to the fact that on a net-net 
you know, adjusted basis, Bitcoin is actually probably hugely positive for the environment because of the conversion of methane to CO2 mm-hmm. and the actual use of, you know, electricity that would have otherwise been wasted. So, yeah, precisely. I mean, the the incentives, again, with, of the network to find the cheapest um, energy inputs, which I think I read a report recently was either hydro or nuclear, which are both, mm. you know, exceptionally sustainable. I mean, if you take it back to the inflation uh, argument, you know, at 10%, it's running wild. Even if we got down to the 2%, which is the aim for all of these central banks, this arbitrary aim of 2%, you're still um, inflating consumption or, or propelling consumption, promoting consumption at 2% as opposed to a deflationary currency, which then uh, incentivizes you to be more mindful in your consumptive habits. Um, Even at 2%, you know, that's going to compound over time and lead to unnecessary waste rather than, you know, the opposite of that. Um, And, 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 you know, I mean, the whole inflation discussion is, is, probably been had probably not as often by other uh, normies but um it's it's that line by hopper like how is printing pieces of paper or adding digital zeros to a ledger on a on a bank's balance sheet or a central bank's balance sheet how is that making people more wealthy like how does that make people more wealthy. Can, can can people explain that to me? Why why are we being forced to earn in a money that steals from us hyperbolically or at least loses value over time rather than opt into a money that at the very least doesn't steal from you and at the very best appreciates in value and enables you to increase your purchasing power over time such that if you are quite happy stacking shelves at the supermarket we need shelf stackers at the supermarket and you're content doing that, fill your boots and we don't need minimum wage laws and we don't need anything else because you can just get on. You've got a nice pool of savings over here if you're mindful with, with, your, um, with your money and you can stack those shelves and then you can maybe go home at night and, and paint or code or w- whatever is of your interest. Yeah, this is one thing I... I'm really hopeful of for Bitcoin for mass adoption is that, you know, one of the, I guess one of the critical pieces of, you know, thinking growing up was um, there's no job to be ashamed of other than a job done poorly. And Mm. this is where Bitcoin, Bitcoin has the ability to return dignity to work. You know, for some reason, a lot of people think that, you know, cleaning floors or serving tables or whatever might be below them and it's very telling you know sort of sitting down with people to see how they treat you know what some people call the help and it's like it's 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 a very quick way to judge a character as to you know the level of respect they've got for the people who are helping them out and doing their very best and this is where in situations where people are doing their best and just you know, having a hard time of it, I'm exceptionally uh, sympathetic to that situation. Mm -hmm. But for people who are in a job thinking it's beneath them doing a half-assed effort, very critical of that type of mentality. You know, the entitlement is just a a shitty way of living. It breeds a whole host of insecurities and negative thoughts that do not serve anyone, including themselves. So, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, 100%. I mean, just the idea of I, – I've always had this theory actually um, that everyone out of high school um, should do a minimum 12 months, not in the in the defense force, on the army or anything, but in retail or hospitality. <laughs> and that would right square away a whole lot of ego, <laughs> you know. <laughs> yep, I'm guilty of that. I you know, first job out of – well – Literally from the age of 15 or 16, I had a job in retail. So as soon as I was allowed to work, I was working mm. in retail. And then one of my all-time favourite jobs was 
while I was at university, I was a delivery driver for a uh, for a bottle shop, and cool. It was fabulous. I loved it. It's great. <laughs> you know, and that's that's really interesting because, as you just said, that that sort of uh, we're pro- propelled to go and achieve more and do more and all this sort of stuff. But like, there's some people out there that just they're cool, just driving around delivering whatever it is and they got their music on or whatever it is and if they're content then like who cares and like if they can earn in a money that 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 uh facilitates that and then enables them to do other things take care of their family they don't have to keep up with this hamster wheel of earning more or going and spending more money to then study to you know maybe increase their income a little bit more and all the rest of it. Like if, if they're aspirational, fill your boots. But if you're just happy to just chill and provide a service to people that people clearly need, right, and provide value, then why should you effectively be punished by that by a shitty 10% inflation rate, you know? Yeah, because the problem with the inflation rate is, you know, and lots of people have talked about this, but it then becomes a full-time job trying to allocate your money to outperform and I can tell you as a professional who literally sits at this all day looking for opportunities for outperforming the market it is very very difficult to do this I don't think I'm stupid I think I'm you know above average when it comes to well what I do Mm. and even I have huge difficulty when it's an absolute passion of mine like I live breathe investments and you know i i read about it learn about it think about it on the weekend in my own time it's not like oh, i go to go to work and they've got me for eight hours here no this is a 24 7 thing running in my brain that yeah. you know people shouldn't have to if they don't want to have to learn how to invest money and this is where i would say bitcoin offers that opportunity to help people out of that constant head fuck for want of a better term that enables them to once you've done the work on bitcoin now whether it takes 10 hours 100 hours or a thousand or ten thousand hours to figure out bitcoin once you understand it then you get competent you get confident to basically put money into it and the more you do the more you buy to the point where you'll just end up going and basically buying bitcoin and that will be your investment strategy Mm -hmm. yeah that's fundamentally where it gets to yep no no doubt because who has the time and energy if you are pursuing other things just to maintain your purchasing power from the year before? And and let's be honest, at a 10 point, or was it 10.8 in the UK? I'm not sure exactly what it is in Australia. It's roughly around 7, 8%. But let's round it up. That's These are all official numbers, PS. So round it up yeah. to an average of 10. <laughs> and, you know, you've mm-hmm. got to be earning 10% more year on year in order just to buy the same bag of groceries that you got Last year, they brought home last year. It's, it's silly. Insane and grossly unfair. Mm-hmm. And so all of these uh, environmental groups and uh, advocacy groups for quality, justice, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, they really just ought to get on board, do the work, understand Bitcoin, and then become um, shills for the orange coin and a sound money standard. <laughs> that That's literally what they should do. And, you know, we've got this... One of my absolute least favorite topics is ESG when it comes to corporate <laughs> corporates and investing. I just it absolutely drives me wild that you know environmental, social, and governance concerns trump the fiduciary duty of directors of a company to maximize shareholder value. And I actually think there's going to be a moment in time where shareholders get fed up with these activist directors who are putting as a priority ESG in front of basically the performance of the shares. Mm -hmm. And I'm trying to get this out there into the ether that the largest class action lawsuit we are going to see ever filed is going to come from shareholders against board of directors for ESG. So pursuing interests that are counter to their fiduciary duty of maximising shareholder value. And then once that becomes a norm, we can return to companies trying to maximise shareholder value and share price and get back to some form of normality to to that. But to your point about ESG, 
we've had a number of clients talk to us about concerns around ESG and Bitcoin. And when you actually break those three things down and go through in real detail, Bitcoin is the most pro ESG investment or asset that you could possibly own. Mm-hmm. Like it's mind blowing from an environmental perspective, it's a net benefit from a social perspective to the points we just talked about reinflation. Mm-hmm. It's a net benefit for the alignment of incentives from an entire societal perspective, a massive pro social. And then from a governance perspective, this is the best governance system that we've ever seen. Mm. It's just that it's a secret and you can't sell a secret. So it requires you and I having conversations with normies about the benefits of a governance system that can't be altered, that's fair for everyone, that allows full access and doesn't allow for seizure of, of assets. It sounds like, um, it sounds like uh, fiat, fiat energy. Um on an on ESG on a fiat standard uh, versus ESG on a Bitcoin standard, um, you wouldn't even need a concept like ESG. You know, fundamentally, you ESG is just a wealth transfer mechanism. It's just a giant scam to to siphon off value from one place to another. Um, really, that's I, I I agree with you on that. That's, that's a wildly unpopular opinion, but you know, for some of my clients, I probably would not say it that. I guess. <laughs> Explicitly. Clearly, yeah. But I, I fundamentally feel that is. And when you look at the grift associated with it, um, I absolutely wholeheartedly believe that is the case. And this is coming from someone who I was a director of a company that was a, a recycling business <clears throat> that was you know sold to a, a listed company. Um, 15 or more years ago, I set up the first business in Australia to help sell carbon credits because I was concerned about carbon and the environment Mm -hmm. and basically set up a company with a friend where we were the first company in Australia to actually sell carbon credits. And we did that with an old mate of mine who was the head of Sydney City Toyota at the time, who was concerned about the same things we were. And then, you know, you discover that, oh, maybe it's not quite what it was. And to answer your question earlier, what, how has Bitcoin changed you? It, it gives you a, the ability to look at things in a totally different light. Everything changes with an understanding of Bitcoin. Yeah. Well, then to that end, what have you learned about the world and uh, more importantly yourself since discovering Bitcoin? The world, I think, is not what it may seem. It has taught me to question everything, you know, starting with the money, starting with our governments. There's been a level of distrust uh, put on all of our institutions. I think what we've lived through in the last three or four years with, you know, upheavals in governments around the world, we've seen rioting in the streets, we've seen governments conducting themselves very poorly, we've seen them lying, we've seen politicians, you know, Failing to act with any honour whatsoever, or even a you know a premise of honour or mm. truth to what they say, we've had a degradation of trust across our institutions. Whether that's the government, whether that's you know um, all forms of politicians, whether that's our medical institutions, whether that's our legal system, uh, our media, it's it's terrifying to think how how much trust has been eroded over the last three or four years with everything that's gone on and this sort of I don't know if it's just the fact that everyone is learning this at the same time or alternatively this is a lens that's been applied with a deeper understanding of Bitcoin but it feels like across society as a whole no one is doing their job yeah no 100% agree with that everyone is faking it till they make it and that's what fiat incentivizes it's it is a fraud fiat is the fraud and everything generated from that will effectively be a fraud it'll be a fake and it actually incentivizes you to not do your job as you were saying before yeah. because it incentivizes you getting close to the money spigot or climbing up the political pole to have influence or power and direct capital and this is where what i'm one of the things i'm really looking forward to is what happens when really hard capital 
in the form of Bitcoin make soft pudgy fiat. And this is where when you have a really deep understanding of Bitcoin, it is very difficult to find anything compelling to invest in that's going to be better than Bitcoin. Yeah. Because you understand, and this is where, say, part of my job on a day-to-day is trying to get clients to an understanding and comfortable with at least a 10% exposure to Bitcoin. And I've only told one client not to buy more Bitcoin, and that's because his wife said he was, well, she was going to divorce him if he bought more. And I was like, hey, lose the battle, win the war. You know, maybe I can talk to her and we can buy some more later. But on, on a serious note, this is where, you know, most clients don't really comprehend the problems with our existing investments. Yeah, there's problems with shares, there's problems with property, there's problems with bonds, there's problems with gold. But when looking at Bitcoin and buying that as an investment, most people are very quick to highlight all of the concerns and problems that come with Bitcoin, yet very happy to overlook the problems that are within our existing framework for investing. The closer you move to the money spigot, the further away you get from value creation. And to your point about that client um, advising him to not buy more Bitcoin, you know, the only thing I'd say to that is um, there's there's 21 million Bitcoin, but there's nothing more scarce than your family. So you've got to look after them <laughs> first, right? <laughs> on, on the matrix of making decision making, it's a scarcity matrix. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's great. I mean, you can have fun staying poor and you can have fun uh being alone and um yeah i don't know hfsl have fun staying lonely yeah that's it (laughs) how do you explain bitcoin then you do this quite frequently um to beginners and to um you know people that are further down the rabbit hole but on a broad um spectrum What's your remit? How do you how do you approach this? How do you explain Bitcoin to people? Uh, that I find a very broad question, and it depends on the specifics of the situation. Mm-hmm. And this is where, you know, depending on who your audience is and what format that conversation is taking place in, depends on what avenue I would go down to discuss that. So. For, you know, people who are, say, very progressive and want to think about, you know, civil liberties and, you know, why it's important and who might lean on the left side of the spectrum when it comes to a political persuasion. You know, talking about a lot of what Alex Gladstein talks about, that, you know, this is freedom money, this is freedom go up technology, this is the ability to, you know, remove yourselves from under the foot of tyranny. This is a system that can operate regardless of what sort of dictatorship you're living under, can impose basically a system that can deliver a whole host of really broad-ranging social benefits that are otherwise not capable of being achieved. And, you know, that's probably an argument that's the most progressive. And then, you know, it, it swings all the way to hey, buy this and get rich, <laughs> you know, <laughs> the lowest level, which, you know, is arguably our greatest, well, it is our greatest driver and this is where, you know, I don't care how people get to that. It's just get there and then I'm relying on the broader community and the learning and the the curiosity to drag them into that Bitcoin rabbit hole and effectively create, I guess, another Bitcoiner like you or I. Yeah encourage someone to study it first and foremost. I mean, Andreas Antonopoulos did this years ago, but, you know, he used to go on those those talks and then at the end he'd say, don't, don't go out and buy it after listening to me. Mm. Go and learn about it. Go and study it. And if you're convinced, maybe buy a little bit. Um, I, I disagree with him on that. I yeah, tell okay. people to load up, load <laughs> up and... <laughs> yeah just smash by go, just, go buy some. <laughs> just just go buy some fuck your dca <laughs> then, take 
everything you have and just shove it into Bitcoin. Let's set a new floor after this pod comes out. Sell your home. <laughs> um, I'll tell you a funny story similar to that. I, uh, the reason why I say that is, you know, the story of the pig and the chicken, you know, it's it's an old story, but it's a, you know, a timeless lesson. But, you know, the chicken's serious because it's the chicken's baby on the plate of bacon and eggs. But, well, the pig's committed because it's his ass on the plate. Yeah. So, you know, if you want to learn about something, no one gives a shit about learning about something they don't own. So have some skin in the game. Basically, put yourself out there. Buy a little bit, even if it's 100 bucks. But do something. Have some skin in the game and then go and learn about it because I guarantee you're going to retain a whole lot more when you've got an investment of, say, $10,000 is going to mean a whole lot more to you than an investment of $2. Totally. So you're going to be incentivized to learn more. So I actually, it's hard to you know critique a master such as Andreas, hmm. but... Yeah, I think he's putting, uh, getting the cart before the horse there. Skin in the game is severely underrated. Peter, this has been uh, like mind-blowing podcast, conversation, discussion, um, experience for me personally. And I hope a lot of the listeners got some, some requisite value out of it as well because we not only spoke from the financial avenues down the, av- the we not only spoke down the, the financial avenues we 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 tackled some more of the philosophical stuff and um and the social layer and the environmental layers and all of these other things which to be perfectly frank i didn't expect um given your background and and, and the, the the basics of what i know about you you know i don't know you very well but i uh, figured we'd probably stick to most of the financial stuff, but there's a there's a real heart there that um, I really really do appreciate, and um, I'd just like to say thanks for sharing your scarce time and finite energy discussing your Bitcoin journey on discovering Bitcoin. I really appreciate it. I've had a wonderful time talking with you. Wish you well in this podcast journey, and can't wait to catch up with you in person sometime. Yeah. <laughs>